Well, good morning, uh, TCC. So good to be with you. Uh, and nice to be on a journey, isn't it, back together. And we just trust that that journey will continue uh, each week. A little more freedom. Feels good. And uh, we just say, keep it coming. Uh, whoa, what a rich, rich time this morning. I've been so blessed just listening and being a part of this and hearing the stories of the graduates. Uh, what a cream of the crop group of people that are coming up through the ranks that God's going to use and bless and uh, as they go on and journey with the Lord. And uh, we didn't talk about Pastor Adam, but he's graduating. Well, we saw his name there, but he's graduating with a Master of Divinity from Taylor Seminary. And he's been doing that all the meantime while he's been ministering and pastoring here. And that's just something he does on the side. So <laughs> one wonderful Pastor Adam, we congratulate you. And uh, Anna, wow, what a star. Kids Spotlight, that was absolutely super. So uh, we just bless you and thank you for your gifts that you're using in ministry. Well, how's your attention span? Teachers, students, uh, because these have been very uh, difficult and challenging days online. So I know our students are very glad to be back to school and they got a couple more weeks to go. You know, uh, how is it that most movies hold our attention for two hours, maybe two and a half hours, uh, a, a real good one, and, and we just stay tuned right in uh, because there's something in the movie that just catches us. It's that question mark uh, in, in the plot, and, and it puts us on edge to say, oh no, I wonder what's going to happen next. Uh, this, this little boy tumbled into the zoo and he's in the tiger's cage and how's he going to get out? And we get so excited that we just keep tuned in. I have to not watch anything after 10 o'clock that's a movie because once I get hooked, I'm there till midnight and I don't want to be up till midnight. So uh, it's, it's the word tension that holds us. Uh, and movie producers are absolutely masters at it. Uh, sometimes you read a chapter of the Bible, and it could be a movie, uh, because you got it all. You've got the tension, you've got the confusion, you've got the anger, you've got some foolishness in there, and you don't see the answer to it, so you gotta stay with it till, till it works itself out. Well, that's the passage today. And it's been a while. <laughs> when I looked at this again, I realized it's been a while since I have read this chapter. And uh, everything I see in it has the makings of a great movie. There's lots of tension in this one. Do you know the storyline? Have you, have you read this lately? Uh, there's some great lessons uh, here. And uh, they can be brought right to the door of your heart and you don't even have to call skip the dishes to get it to your heart. It'll just come right to you. And the lesson that you learn today, if you haven't already learned it, could save your reputation. Honestly. Could save your family. Could save your job. Could save your mental health. It's a movie worth watching. I'm trying to create a little tension here. So stay with me. I have a, I have a sense that uh, you, there will come a day when you need this lesson. 
in the heat of battle. And hopefully you'll be able to flash back to 1 Samuel 25 and remember. Because most of us need this lesson. Uh, one or two or three or four times in life and some need it regularly. Uh, the young 20-year-old who took the, the, the lives of a Muslim family this week in London. Oh, wish he could have read 1 Samuel 25. He needed this very lesson. So let's follow the storyline. If you're building the movie here from scratch, uh, you would have at least four major scenes. The first one is kind of the overreaction scene. And the second one is the call for help scene. The first one is the tension building one. And then there's, there's got to be somebody that comes in to do some rescuing. And then there's the solving of the problem. And there's a wonderful de-escalating speech scene. And then there's the aftermath. And it's kind of the redemptive scene. Uh, but first of all, the overreaction scene. This is the scene that sets uh, the whole tension thing up. David, as you know, is our main character. Uh, in these series of sermons called Everyday Faith. And he's hiding from the king who wants to take his life. And he's got 600 armed men with him. And as you read a little further, uh, in the next chapters, some of their families are also present. So he has 600 armed men with him, and he's fleeing for his life. And his goal is to put as much distance between King Saul... Uh, and himself, between Jerusalem and himself. So where would you try to go to escape from Saul and his army? Well, in a little place called Israel, uh, you'd probably go to the hills. You'd probably go to the mountains, as they, they referred to them. Remember Afghanistan and how difficult it was to find the terrorists who would swoop down at night, do their work, kill people, then retreat back up into the mountains immediately uh, where they couldn't be found. It's hard to win a war in Afghanistan. Don't we know? Don't the Russians know who tried to make war with Afghanistan 20 years before that? And exactly the thinking of David and his men, they were out in no man's land. In fact, it was called the Wilderness of Maon. So uh, think uh, mountainous area, Think uh, south and east of Jerusalem and Hebron. Think in the southern part of the, of the state. And they were living in caves and they were trying to elude Saul and his army. Also remember that the hills are, are not at all just infested with uh, David's army. There are also many bandits and marauders and vigilantes and shysters uh, who lived out in the hills as well, and they were escaping the law, and they were trying to make uh, a living out there by stealing livestock from the ranches. And they would kill the shepherds, and they would steal the flock, and uh, they, were the, they were the lawbreakers. So it's kind of the Wild West out in the mountains. It's a, incredible that way out there in the wilderness was a rich rancher by the name of Nabal. And he lived close to a little hamlet called Carmel. Now, don't think Carmel by Malibu, uh, close to San Francisco, if you've been there. In fact, Carmel, that's where Clint Eastwood was the kind of the honorary mayor for a period of time. So it's not that kind of Carmel at all. No resemblance. 
This is rugged hill country. And Nabal ran 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats on his ranch. Now that's a rich man. Even in today's standard, to have 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, that's a pretty rich rancher. And uh, he had a lot of hired hands. And his word, his name means fool. And he apparently lived up to his name. You see the characterization of Nabal in verse 3. This man's name was Nabal and his wife, Abigail, was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean uh, in all his dealings. Now, how would you describe a fool? (laughs) Somebody that's arrogant, uh, somebody that's uh, selfish, hard-hearted. I mean, that was Nabal a thousand times over. He was a mean man. And the Bible describes a fool as one who says and acts like there is no God. Uh, and that's how Nabal lived. And, and since he was rich, relatively uh, speaking, he kind of got the feeling that he, he called all the shots in life. He had the bucks, he had the power, he called it. How in the world did he ever get Abigail, is my question. They are so unmatched. He married a way out of his league. She's amazing. He's not. How did that happen? Probably because marriages were prearranged in those days and Nabal had the money. Of course, he had the money. And he could pay Abigail's family for, for the hand of Abigail. Well, rich and arrogant Nabal is busy shearing sheep. It must have been springtime. They're getting the heavy wool off the sheep uh, before the heat of summer and before lambing time. And David sends a small delegation to Nabal to ask for some food for his men. Now remember uh, David, uh, and I hadn't really thought about this, but he's got 600 men to feed day in and day out. Well, that's a pretty huge crew to find food for. And think of the responsibility of simply feeding his guys and then their families. But also David's men inform Nabal, in case he hadn't noticed, that David and his small army have been protecting the shepherds from the bandits that are out in the hills. And they formed a community patrol for safety. They call it the David Wilderness Patrol, whatever. But they were, they were kind of the good citizens of the land taking care of the ranchers and kind of protecting them from, from bandits. So after their shaloms and the little rehearsed speech of David and his men protecting their flocks, they came to the pressing question. So would you be so kind to us? That since we have come at a time of celebration, please share any uh, provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name. And they sat back and they waited for a reply. Now here comes the overreaction scene. Think blue language and think these words. Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. And how? who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who comes from who knows where? 
Well, Nabal was furious, and the fur hit the fan. And the beautiful May Day turned blue with curses. Nabal just lost it. I mean, for no good reason, he just lost it. And he's way out of his lane. He's way out of his lane. Friend, that's a fool. That's a fool. That's an overreaction, and that's a fool. And statements like that start wars. And they start family feuds. And they start division in leadership. And so on and so on. And the tongue gets us in a lot of trouble. Who is David? Oh, he knows. He knows. Because the next sentence says, who is this son of Jesse? Well, he knows. Uh, how did he know that? The story was, was out that David was to be the succeeding king. Who are these riffraff with him? Get out of my face. Get out of here before we take the shares to you. That was his attitude. If we needed any confirmation of who Nabal was, just look at his language and count the number of times he says, my, my bread, my water, my meat, my shears. The universe revolves around Nabal. He calls the shots and he speaks his mind. Uh, some of it he can't afford to lose, but he speaks it anyway. And you see one overreaction leads to another. And now the message is directed to David. And watch him react. So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. Get your swords, was David's reply, as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard the equipment. Now here's the second overreaction. David didn't take a minute to think about it. He just says, get your sword, get your horses, buckle up, we're out, we're out of here. And when you overreact like that, you begin a, a series of reactions. Nabal stirred up 400 of David's hell's angels, but he didn't even know it. And I mean, this is way overkilled on the part of David. 400 armed men <laughs> against Nabal... And a few hired servants. This is way overkill. It's like taking a shotgun to a, uh, a mouse that your wife says, there's a mouse out in the garage. Grab your shotgun and let's go out. And you got your cars in there. There's more damage done in your garage than trying to just get a little mouse. And interesting, isn't it? Like, funny to me how David could be so patient with Saul. Remember last week and how carefully... Pastor Adam unpacked that for us. So patient. David was so patient. He had him. He could have taken him out. But he said, no, it's, he's the Lord's anointed. He's the king. I respect the office. And, and, uh, and David was very cool and calculated. And then Nabal comes into the picture and he loses it. I mean, he doesn't have the time of day for Nabal. And I wonder if that's not true in how we handle our anger and our vengeance. With some people, we can be so gracious and so kind and wait and wait and wait and oh, they'll come around and give them space. And then the next person, maybe a family member comes along and we just lose it. 
How does that work? I don't know, but unfortunately, it really does. Do you resonate with that at all? Well, David took 400 men because he just lost it. And that's how wars get started. That's how families experience a huge division right down the middle of their family tree. And it takes years to get it healed. And sometimes it never gets fixed. Gordon MacDonald, uh, who is a writer and pastor, I've followed Gordon and read his books through the years. I think he's, he's alive, but he's now retired. But he's a great storyteller. And he told a story one day of, of uh, how he was scheduled to fly to Chicago. But he made a mistake, and he went to Logan Airport, but he was supposed to go to Manchester. And there he was, and uh, the officials looked at his uh, ticket and said, no, no, you're supposed to fly out of Logan. Uh, uh, if you want to fly out of Logan, you have to pay another $360. Well, that, that hit McDonald wrong, and he was put off, and he felt taken advantage of. Uh, and he was about to be very rude, actually, and he was feeling that if he was rude to her, then he would be hurting the whole airlines. Like, give her the shot, and, and then everybody will have to pay for it. But then he remembered the advice that his friend had given him, and it went like this. Someone has to show a little dignity in life. Someone has to show a little dignity in life. And it really should start with you. Well, McDonald swallowed his pride. He went back to the lady, and he said... Uh, you know, before I pay you the $360, uh, let me just say one more thing. Six weeks ago, I came here to take a flight to the West Coast, uh, and uh, I discovered the flight had been canceled. No one told me. They said they were sorry, and I forgave them. Then two weeks later, on a flight to Europe, the airline, your airline, lost my, my luggage, and they said really, really sorry. <laughs> I forgave them. Last week on a third flight, they got me to my destination two hours late. And they said, how sorry we are about all the delays. And I forgave them again. And now here I am, fourth time in six weeks, wanting to fly with you again. See how forgiving I am? But this morning, the problem's mine. I forgot that I scheduled myself out of the other airport. And I'm really, really sorry that I made this terrible mistake. You guys have said sorry to me three times in the last six weeks, and uh, each time I've forgiven you. And now I would like, you, like to say sorry to you and ask you to forgive me and put me on that flight without charging me the $360. <laughs> you have three sorries. And now I'm asking for one. Does that make sense to you? And the boarding pass lady looked up at him and very thoughtfully said, it really does make sense to me. Let me see what I can do. So she went to work. And you know how they type and 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 they type. And then she looked up with a smile. She said, we can do this. Uh, two minutes later, he said, I was off to the gate with my boarding pass. And that morning... Dignity won. 
The airline forgave me. The skies, indeed, were friendly. And I didn't have to pay an extra $360. Now, we can all probably relate to that story one way or another because we've all been there. Our human dignity is eroded by these constant clashes. Even our most innocent mistakes cause hateful exchange and vengeful acts. And you have to keep alert lest you get sucked into saying and doing things that you'll regret an hour later. Like, oh, how did I lose it? Especially, I think, in terms of our season right now with the, the, the constant slogging of the ocean waves on our sanity. There are some very short fuses around. Be gentle with people these days. Many are feeling fatigue. It's been a long haul. Many people in our families, in our churches, in our community have dealt with illness and the loss of a loved one. And all have grappled with disrupted schedules and isolation. Even if the finish line of the pandemic is not too far away, as we hope it's not too far away, many will be limping rather than sprinting across the, the finish line. And the most powerful way we represent the Good Shepherd to others is through the grace that we offer to them at their most vulnerable time in life. So the first reaction is, is, uh, seen is the overreaction scene. Secondly, the call for, for help. In times of crisis, you need some cool heads to prevail. Uh, you have a choice to pour gas on the fire or you can pour water on the fire. It was one of the hired men that somehow got out of Nabal's sight. Remember the story here? And slipped his way over to find Abigail. And listen to his words and tell me if you could get away with this. I don't know how to tell you this, Abigail, but your husband just hurled insults at David's men. And those guys have been good to us. They have provided a wall of protection for our shepherds and our sheep. And they have not done us any harm. You need to know this and figure out what to do for there's going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. And his, uh, he is so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. <laughs> woo Imagine trash-talking your boss to the boss's wife. That's pretty bold. But Abigail didn't need anyone to fill in the white spaces because she lived with her husband all these years and she knew the score. Friends, you know, if you have someone in, in your family or organization who can read the situation better than you can, take a moment to get their counsel. <laughs> your natural tendency might be to blast away, but your confidant might say, if you just hold back a little bit on this, just hold back, and let's try to work together on this. Is this a hill to die on, is, or is that our pride? Is that our pride getting in the way? Sometimes we just need to walk away and say, I'll get back to you. I don't know. I find in my life that I just need some time. I don't want to react right now, but I just need to get away. I just need to process this and then come back and hopefully save getting into a mess. Have you ever written a note to someone in your anger and then you've given it to your wife or your husband and, or a friend to read? 
before you sent it. And after they read it, there's this like long silence. And there they've read it, they've put it down and you're asking for a little feedback and you're afraid now that you're going to get a little more than you wanted for feedback. But often they will just say, well, you know, uh, everything about it's correct. It's accurate. I agree. I know why you're feeling, why you're feeling. But I think you should sleep on that. I think you've said it a little too strongly. I think you went a little overboard on it. Because, you know, once you send that email, it's gone. It's gone. And it's gone to more than you intended. And I think you might be wise to sleep on it. Because you may live to regret the strong words that you used. And almost always I've rejoiced when I hit delete. Because eventually it's a small world. And your paths cross. And, all, and things can get very awkward. Your friend, your spouse, your colleague can save your neck and make you rethink. It's a wise rescue. And you would deeply regret that you ever, ever said what you, what you did. So thank God for people in our lives who are, wise, who are wise. And thank God for people in your life who are quick to see the implications of a hasty decision. They're a blessing. And friends, remember this as a guideline. The Spirit of God never acts rashly. The Spirit of God never acts rashly. He never prompts us to do anything rashly. So if you ever get a tension time and you're ready to say something and you're just going to blast, I would say that's not the Spirit of God. So check yourself. And if you can recognize that you're reacting in a hot-headed way, then the Spirit is not leading you. Accountability and proper boundaries don't come out of anger. They come out of well-reasoned, thought-through responses. The, those promptings of anger come from the flesh. And you're going to watch a minor earthquake happen when David hears the report from his ten men. He needed a good friend to slow him down. Little did he realize who that friend was going to be. What was that young man, 20 years old, in London, week, a week ago today? What was, what was he thinking? Whatever brought him to the conclusion that he should use his half-ton as a killing machine. And in a fit of rage, I assume a fit of rage... Go out and crash into a Muslim family out for an evening walk. He just wrecked his life. He just wrecked his life. And he took out four members of a family and he left a little nine-year-old boy without a family. It is beyond comprehension. Remember this as a guideline. The Spirit of God never acts rashly. He never prompts us to do anything rashly. So check yourself. And if you can realize that you're, you're reacting in a hot-headed way, know the Spirit is not leading you. That is not how the Spirit of God would lead. Well, scene three is a finely crafted de-escalation speech because Abigail 
saved the neck of her husband, Nabal, and he didn't even know it. He would have been pushing up daisies sooner than he expected, except for his gracious wife. Now, this was an opportunity for Abigail, like, honestly, to sit back and say, you know, God moves in wondrous ways, his things to perform, mysteries to perform, and, and just let this thing play out. But she doesn't do that. She goes right to work. Look at what she does. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been nearly sla- that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel, a bushel of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins. She's amazing. And 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. Amazing. She just whipped this up like nobody's business. <laughs> she sent her servants on ahead. Uh, so she really is incredible. She puts all of this together. Doesn't, not talk, doesn't talk to her husband because, well, you can't talk to him. He's irrational. And you just have to do what you have to do. What an organizer. And to be able to do all of this and Nabal isn't even noticing what she's doing. And then, did you notice that part? And she stayed back for a little bit. She stayed back. She sent the servants on ahead. And she stayed back for a little bit. Why? She probably needed some time to figure out what she was going to say to David. Like, this is hitting her. How do I disarm him? Got to think this thing through. What's the wisest thing that I can say? And she needed an extra few minutes to think this thing through. Now the next section of verses are one that you might read over again, especially if you find yourself in situations that call for careful negotiation. Could be our own family. Could be between husband and wife. Maybe it's between parent and child. Maybe it's important where you work. And maybe it's your role in leadership as a, in church or a owner of a business or whatever it might be. Our staff will know that uh, we bought a book at a leadership conference a couple years ago. And if any of you are really inter- interested in negotiation, this would be a great book to get. Never Split the Difference by Chris Foss. Uh, he, he is a top negotiator, or was probably, for the FBI. And, uh, and he writes a whole book on negotiating uh, to defuse situations where hostages are present and you have to get them out. And you have, to do the, you have to do the talking. You have to do the negotiating. And how will you go about that? Well, I think after reading that book a couple of times that, that, I should, uh, that Chris Voss should add a, a chapter uh, to his book and that he should focus it around Abigail because she is simply terrific at this. She would be a great model to study for negotiation tactics. Now picture the scene. 400 armed, hungry, insulted, angry men with drawn swords ready to murder every man on Nabal's ranch are riding horses galloping at neck break speed and they're now approaching an unarmed woman riding on a donkey. 
She is, for the moment, seen as the enemy. And David could kill her on the spot. The tension is palpable. But notice a couple of things. First, her tactics. Uh, And you'll have to figure out on your own your tactics for your situation. But you can learn some things from Abigail. She has a crack at it. And she is negotiating for her life and for Nabal and for all the ranch hands. And her first uh, tactic is to lower the tension. She made her first move. She got off her donkey. She showed respect to David and his men by bowing before them. Uh, It feels a whole lot different than spitting at them or firing off a round of crazy, foolish verbiage. She doesn't raise her voice. She physically sets the stage as a good negotiator should. She lowered her voice and she lowered the tension. She lowered the vo- her voice and she lowered the tension. You can't win with anger. You either cause a direct confrontation because some people love it or you send your possible ally underground. They don't want to talk to an angry person. Well, you say, she threw her husband under the bus. And it's true. But he threw himself under the bus. She said, I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never saw the young man that you sent. After an initial calm demeanor... She identifies with what David and his men are upset about. They're upset because of the insulting words of Nabal. That's what made them mad. And Abigail doesn't try to defend Nabal and say, yeah, 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 my husband, he's a tough guy, but really you get to know him underneath, he's just a teddy bear. She doesn't say that. Oh, he had a rough day yesterday. We lost 20 sheep and 10 goats, and and, uh, he's just mad about that, so he took it out on you. No, she didn't say that. She didn't try to make something ugly look good. She just admitted it. My husband is completely out to lunch. He's a loose cannon. Now, I don't know how to apply this, so I'm not suggesting you imitate Abigail in this. It may not go so well. But she had to get to the truth for it to be believable for David. She had to help him understand her husband. She had to make David believe that her response, her response, would be far different than Nabal's. Look, I wasn't there when it happened. And we're sorry for our response. Nabal was way out of line. And then if you notice, she asks for forgiveness on behalf of her family and her hired hands. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. And if there's ever a way to break down the resistance of conflict and unresolved issues, there's nothing better than sincere words like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And it wasn't just a tactic. It was sincere. And David could read sincerity. There's another word that I've been thinking about. I just didn't know quite what to call it. And I thought about it earlier this morning that uh, is descriptive of Abigail. And I, I, I called it a God awareness. But I really think it's discernment. It's discernment and wisdom that is a gift here for Abigail. She saw things from God's perspective. 
And she wanted to challenge and remind David of who he was. Now, isn't this insightful on Abigail's part? When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. It's like our Oilers. Sorry if this is still a bit sore for us. They were ahead 4-1 to one in that third game. They had 57 minutes of great hockey. They had three minutes when they let down for some reason. And uh, the game got tied only to lose in overtime. Three minutes. Three minutes. And it cost them the game. 57 good minutes. Three bad. Unbelievable. And that's what Abigail says to David. Listen, you're being wise. You're hiding from Saul. You know God's at work. He's working in your life and he is shaping you. Now don't let three minutes of your life forever cast a dark shadow on the rest of your life. All that God is doing. David, you're going to be the next king. Don't let your reputation be smudged by murder. You're bigger than that, David. Oh, great tactical move. But wait, not just tactical. It was true. It was true. Wait, wait, hold on. Check your anger. You were wrong, but I'm telling you, take these provisions and go. Go in peace. And oh, by the way, David, when God does great things in the future for you, and he will, Please remember me. Please remember me. And you know what? This is like the air escapes from the tire. All that pent up frustration and tension is just like somebody pulled the valve out and it just, all of that went away. And, uh, And David responded. His mind cleared. He heard. He listened. His anger left. The power of beauty, the power of beauty, a beautiful heart. You know what he said? Thanks for coming out here, Abigail. Wow. Thanks for thinking about my future. Thanks for your good sense. I'm so glad I didn't murder anyone. I was so close, so close. Go home, Abigail, and know that I won't kill your husband. Now, we typically don't like a story that keeps us hanging. I don't like a movie that that won't end the way it's supposed to end or that won't end with a story that brings it to its conclusion and it's just like you, you figure out how it ends. I don't like that. I want to know what happened. And this one's got an ending. And here it is, the redemptive scene. Abigail, Abigail comes home. Nabal is drunk. He's celebrating. He's having a big party and Abigail can't even tell him she saved his life. He's too far gone. She goes to bed. Man, 
You're partying. I'm out there saving your butt. You're drunk when I get home. So she told him in the morning. And as she talked, he had a stroke. And then it says the Lord dealt with him ten days later and he died. And out of this, David is very aware that Nabal has paid a heavy price for his pride and independence. And David invites Abigail to be his wife. Well, things happen rather quickly, don't they? Quicker than you think. She says, I'll be happy to marry you, David. I don't know how that works. I mean, it just seems too simple. Would you like to be my wife? Sure. Uh, And it's done. And she's his wife. It's a really feel-good ending. What a story. What a movie. Anyone here have $10 million? We could make this into an action-packed, adventuresome movie with a happy ending. Couldn't we do something with this? Let me know before you go home if you have $10 million and We'll just start writing on the script right away today. We'll get, we'll get it going. Just kidding. Not about the $10 million. If you've got $10 million, see me. Uh, can you remember these things for the movie of your life? Just two things, and they're very brief. Number one, the beauty of your life touches others. The beauty of your life, what God is doing in your life, touches others. Abigail was beautiful inside equally as on the outside. And because she was beautiful inside, she made David stop and do an inward heart check. She was right. David was about to make a huge mistake, but he listened to Abigail. And David's anger and vengeance was transformed into gentleness and grace. And David never had to look back and say, oh, Why did I do that? And when you walk in the beauty of the Lord, your life is causing some around you to say, I should stop and I should see what's happening and I should put on the brakes and I should be the person God is calling me to be. And if you don't put on the brakes, then it's likely that those around you will also follow your behavior and make it their behavior. Secondly, when you come to the intersections of life where you are tempted to overreact, be reminded of negotiating Abigail. Think of her. You can lose it on someone else, but there's a price for that. God is not in rash behavior. God is in quietness and waiting. And when you come to the intersection, you know we're all trained as drivers to Look this way, look this way, maybe do a shoulder check, look in front of you, look in all ways. And in checking, you need to ask for God's wisdom. How do I, how do I need, what do I need to learn? How should I respond? What don't I understand about this God? Help me to take the high ground. So many teachable moments for us all from 1 Samuel 25. Ask the the Lord to bring this story to mind when you're about to lose it. Now on the screen is a very simple question. And uh, 
it says, Lord, during the sorting through of your word today, I was thinking about this story. Forget the question mark there. It's just a statement. Lord, during the sorting through of your word, I was thinking about this story. Was there something you wanted to say to me? I'm listening. You see, usually the Spirit brings something to mind that he wants us to be working on. And he probably has brought something to your mind today. That's how God works. He's he's brought something. He's underscored it. He's touched upon it. It, he's, He's brought it to your awareness. Would you just simply say, Lord, I hear that. And I respond. And I'm going to give you a moment just to bow your head with me and just ask the Lord what that is and then respond. Let's bow together. Thank you, Father, for the things that you are saying to us today. We take them seriously. We hear what you're saying. We thank you for the passage, Lord, in all of its intensity and and realness. We thank you for putting Abigails in our lives to help us see your beauty and your way. And thank you for all the transitions and shifts that you've allowed us to make because you sent someone to calm the situation and and to take it slowly. So teach us, Lord, especially if we may have short fuses, to hear what your Spirit is saying to us and protect us for the honor and glory of our Father. Now thanks for all you're saying to us individually. We want to listen and we want to hear and we want to obey your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.